Hello, and welcome to the... I don't know why I'm doing an accent. Uh, hello, I'm joined by Bo and Harry. Hey up. Hey up, Do they actually... Yeah, they do talk like that. I don't know why I'm asking. I've been there. That's where I... That's what I always say. Yeah. I modify my language for you lads, but when I'm back home, it's... Hey up, do. What about... Do you go home and do a Cockney accent in the mirror? Is that... Yeah, cool, blimey, governor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, welcome um, to this shambles. Um, uh, today we'll be talking about the fact that they have no shame, Suicide Squad, Kill Your Franchise, smart move, and The Farmer's Revolt. So it's going to be fun, I think, and informative. Uh, but before that, I have an announcement to make, which is um, Lad's Hour is tomorrow because it's now been... It's recently. today. Oh, oh, yeah. It's Friday today, Callum. I, want, I was coming in tomorrow. You were going to come into the <laughs> office tomorrow again, weren't you? It wouldn't be the first time, folks. It wouldn't. So, um, today, after this podcast, there will be Lads Hour, and this episode is about total twink death. So, if you are a closeted homosexual man, do come and join, and uh, I'm sure you'll have good fun. Hosted by Connor. There um, we are. <laughs> Callum, this is the problem, I have to say, with orientating your understanding of which day of the week it is by the schedule, mm. as you have admitted to doing many times before, is that when the schedule is changed, all of a sudden, your entire life is flipped upside down. I'm bugging and there's, um, there's not much more to say about that. No, no, I did genuinely bad timekeeping on my um, life. Anyway, <laughs> we, we have a, a podcast today, which I think you'll like. So let's talk about the fact that they have no shame, shall we? So um, new graph just dropped, boys, on new statistics, which is the Office for National Statistics, which I will be honest, hand on heart, I am actually quite proud of British statistics. Like the ONS is very good at keeping statistics and gathering them and being able to use them. But they also make predictions. And these predictions are based on reality, regardless of political promises, which is quite revealing because, of course, we're talking about immigration. Are, are the ONS the only part of the British government that still does the job it's supposed to? Functions, yes. Yeah, I think that's telling. We but do know that it is nowadays politically problematic to notice things and make predictions based on reality, isn't it? Yeah, but the ONS still gathers the data for now. So, I mean... Maybe in 10 years. I mean, they were thinking of destroying the 2020 census, if you remember. There's, there's one somehow 200 years old holdover from the Victorian era still collecting data yeah, hoards ONS of somehow. So this is a, a crappy graph because I made the like, end bits there. But this is a graph of net migration in the UK. was from the ONS, of course, and this being a huge problem. Uh, you're all aware, I'm sure. But anyway, the ONS decided to update us and tell us that um, it's going to get worse, boys, before it changes. So this is them tweeting. This wasn't asked for by anyone. They just decided to tweet out a bunch of predictions. And they say here, between mid-2021 and mid-2036, the projections for the UK as a whole suggest that 10.8 million people will be born, 10.3 million people will die, 13.7 million people will immigrate long-term to the UK, and 7.6 million people will emigrate long-term to the UK. So what's that official statistic, 6.6 .6 million extra yeah. on top? Over 15 years there. Over 15 yeah, years. Like, and that's not including eh? any people who overstay visas, illegal entrance into the country, people that we just lose track of. Yeah. And of course, this comes at a time in which they tell us, or at least the political parties tell us that, oh, well, terribly sorry, yes, we got all that wrong. Uh, vote for us this time. We'll change it. The Labour and the Conservatives here, of course. Which... Um, well, this kind of betrays them publicly, doesn't it? That your own Office for National Statistics is outing you as, no, mass migration will continue and it will not stop. Like, huh. Okay. 
But I mean, I'm glad we can at least trust one source. But th- there must be some kind of rogue British nationalist who's controlling the <laughs> o- ONS and releasing these statistics. <laughs> Why else would they release them? Unless, of course, the Tories are proud of this and see this as some form of progress. We are replacing you in your own home country. Aren't we a good job, says our Indian Prime Minister. That's such a backwards way of looking at statistics, right? Like the there's a MAGA guy secretly running the FBI counts. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, no, it's, uh, the statistics must be wrong, not me. <laughs> okay. But yeah, um, the reality in terms of, well, added data does match up with nationalist perspectives on this issue. And one thing I do want to note in this before we go forwards is that you remember the endless argument of mass immigration is we don't have enough births. I don't know if you guys noticed, there's 500,000 more people born in that time period than die. They will presumably be including the immigrant populations within those figures. Absolutely. But even with that, then you've killed the argument for mass immigration. Yeah, like, I suppose so. We have more births and deaths. You know, your pyramid scheme, the pensions, that could still work. But no, that, that, that argument isn't relevant anymore. It's just 13 more million people, please. Well, I, I imagine they're banking on the idea that of those 10.8 million people, a fair number of them will eventually return to the homeland and be part of the 7.6 emigration figure sometime in the future. So they think, well, English people yeah. probably wouldn't move, but, you know, some people. That's us going to Australia, let's be <laughs> frank. Oh, yeah, that is a lot of us going to Australia as well. I think it's really important that we have a um, huge diversity in restaurants. <laughs> that's, that's I've seen of, Will that's, Stancil arguing about this on Twitter. Key, it's one of the key things for me. I mean, despite the fact that we've got the recipes, so we don't need the millions of people, but I think if we have 6.6 extra million people, then... You know, we could have one or two more Ethiopian-themed restaurants. Well, if we tried to cook so, them ourselves... So that's worth it. We just that's aren't... Um, the, the logic to me would suggest that we just aren't genetically built to make ethnic food, are we? We have to, which is an interesting kind of ethnic determinalism, but okay. I've never been to an Ethiopian restaurant. I'm trying to think if I've ever even seen one. Uh, I've seen Ethiopian slops start to appear on my Twitter timeline, and it doesn't look appetizing. Isn't oh. there one? There's, a, there's one right near here on the corner near the Ibis Hotel that's been filled with economic migrants. Just oh, that's um, West African food. Oh, is it? It's not. not oh, Indian. it's West African. Oh, no, not that place. Another place. Another place. There's a new one. Maybe it's. Kenyan like, butchers? Maybe it's popping up everywhere. Actually, I think maybe it's Yemeni or Oman type food, not Ethiopian. But, well, we'll have yeah. to, you know, if we're going to have the diversity, might as well eat there. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the responses to this were, were not fun. I mean, everyone. Um, as you can see in the public comments, <laughs> were um, a bit miffed, to say the least. Lots of reform people, obviously, being like, oh, yeah. So literally, if you don't get a new party in that isn't the ones that have already been in, you, you will just get continuously replaced. I mean, that's what that promise is there. Seven million Britons will leave, and you will get 13 million foreigners. That's a huge number for an island of 60 million people. So on the immigration issue, now we've got this image up on. So that's, that's Rick from the old Porn Stars TV show. Did you see what happened to not one of his sons who's involved in the show, but one of his other sons? One of his other sons, speaking of immigration, OD'd and died recently on fentanyl. Yeah, so... so Unlimited range of incredible restaurants, guys. What <laughs> Think would, of the drugs we could have. What would Rick have done without all of that Mexican food flooding into Las Vegas? But this is about, because um, I kind of hate how the conservatives focus on the boat people, because obviously the bigger factor is the, the mass migration. And this is a nice reveal of what will happen if those people get into power again. 
And what's interesting is that number, because you don't think about it that much. But this guy tweeted a great example. To put this into perspective, 13.7 million migrants clears the combined population of Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, including the migrants in those countries, with enough people left over to fill in extra Wales. You could literally, well, have more people than every Celt on Earth in that time period. So yeah, you could actually completely empty out the Celtic nations. And when you put it in terms like that, the use of any terms like um, minorities that gets used is rather perverse, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the BBC did a, a thing on this where they just start off because they, whenever they have to talk about this, usually they just mention figures and don't want to have a further conversation because, well, duh. What, what's the conclusion going to be? This is probably a bad idea. And in this, they decided to actually instead interview some uh, politicians. So I wanted to get their words because I think they'll piss you off if nothing else. So, <laughs> so the uh, chairman for the Conservative Party said that I've been clear that migration is too high and we must get back to sustainable levels. Such as 13 million over 15 years. Yeah, liar. Yeah. Liar. Don't care about what you've got to say anymore. The Minister for Legal Migration said that uh, measures would be made to make a tangible difference and showed that the government was acting in response to the sorts of figures. Liar. Because <laughs> this is the thing. Like The ONS have released what will happen and then there's whatever the fight you say and no one cares. Because again, I mean, you're so right. The Labour Party put out a statement. They said that they would reform the points-based immigration system to boost training and better link it to the needs of the economy. That sounds to me just like they said that, yeah, that we'll lean into it more, if anything. <laughs> Why not? That's all that is. They are all doctors and engineers. But the funny thing in all <laughs> this is I did notice a new conversation. <clears throat> Caps. I ain't seen this before. So calls for a cap is the headline here. That's been a thing. That used to be a thing. Did it? Yeah, yeah. Back in the back in the day, and I mean like the fifties and sixties and seventies and stuff. We'll have a cap. Even David Cameron used to talk. Sometimes used to talk about having a cap. He used to say there was a target of under, uh, sorry, target of tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And then that was phrased as a cap back in the day. But I, well, they've never had one. Yeah. But the the statement here is that Downing Street is resisting calls from the former Home Secretary Suella Braverman for a cap. Really. Oops, so there we are. That's, that's their opinion. So um, let's go and check out what's been going on because um, Sola Braveman did respond just being upset. She's like, well, this is mad, which, um, you know, fair enough. I mean, most people just don't really pay attention anymore because, I mean, you were her secretary. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't buy any of her, a, anything she's doing or saying. I don't buy it. It's all just performative nonsense to try and keep her seat. Now, she had a chance. She was home secretary. She was at the top of government in cabinet for a few years there and was absolutely part of the problem. Her, for, to me, her phony ire, she can stick it. I'm not interested in hearing it. Well, there was the Telegraph article that got released of the insider, the anonymous insider from the Home Office who said that, who was kind of blowing the whistle on the whole thing, saying that the Home Office, they all hate the public, they don't want to do what the public wants them to do. And whenever Suella Braverman would come in and say, listen guys, it's time that we start kicking some people back and closing these borders a bit, actually doing what we said they would, they would turn around and say, no, we're not going to do that. And she would be very apologetic for having asked in the first place. Right, yeah. So who, yes, I've got no sympathy for her. It's her, your job as minister to make a department do what the government wants it to do. That's your job. You don't just go, can you do that, please? Or you won't. Oh, well, then. Yeah, well, we do mm. pay you over 100 that's not. That's not leadership. That's not being in. That's not doing anything. Ugh. 
So there we are. That's um the well, I suppose outside establishment position. I don't know what to call it. The MPs for the ruling party that have done this, who are like, I I resigned because it was so bad. Maybe if you've done something. Yeah. So I, that would have been better. I have no interest in serving the Conservative Party. That is so indicative of the Tory attitude towards things. Oh, we failed at something? Well, then I quit. Okay, <laughs> 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 great. Power. Fantastic. Good yeah. job. But uh, the larger conversation, I think, was the funnier one. So someone came out and said, could someone please think of the houses? The, the real problem, of course, is the house. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. That's roughly 254,000 homes a year just to accommodate the new arrivals, and 210,000 dwellings were completed last year. Uh, madness on stilts, this guy says, which um, I appreciate the house concern as a man who doesn't own a house, but at the same time, that's not my biggest concern. What's the point of buying a house in a neighborhood if that neighborhood isn't the same by the time I've paid off the mortgage? If I now live on a foreign land at the end of that 25 years, Or even period? by the time that the, the, the rest of the neighborhood is built. Yes. So... Yeah, I, I don't really care for building endless houses if I still live in somewhere that's not England. Because that's kind of what I wanted to invest all that money in. But never mind. Uh, there are a list of countries that are bigger than the expected immigration, which you can find your own time. Starts at Belgium. So we're going to take an entire Belgium, or an entire Greece, or an entire Portugal, or uh, you know, you could take a couple of Denmarks, a couple of Finlands, you know, take your pick. Two Norways. Yeah. I, you know, if, if we had to take 13.7 million people, I'd much rather them be two Swedens, two Norways, something like that. Yeah, that, that, you know, if we were forced, if I had a gun to my head and said, you have to take 13.7, where do you want them coming from? <laughs> I'd say, you know, never Iceland, how Norway, the nice countries filled with nice people. No, you never get that option. But there we are, just to give a perspective about how just insane this is, because I mean, the UK is one of the most densely populated places on earth. And it's like, yeah, just, just have 12 more Estonias. Where? You talking about mad? So um, there's lots of feels about this. This was mine when I first saw this data. <laughs> local man who's had enough. Um, but then there are proposals, of course, because just being downy is um, not a way to fix anything. So here's a proposal. I don't know. I'd be a lot happier if I was downy. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a proposal from a local man. Mass immigration, but in reverse. I mean, it's a policy. Clever. Certainly a policy. But uh, I did check out a local man who had his thinking hat on which really gets you into the mindset of uh, what's needed. This chap. Reversing this must be done with the exact cold disregard for human suffering and democratic norms shown throughout, or it will not happen, steal yourselves. Which is kind of funny, because of course, the man is being quite hardline. But he Where's makes a brilliant lie? point, which is that this was done entirely undemocratically and with a cold disregard for human suffering of the English. Hmm. Yeah, we were never asked. I feel like... Uh, if they came here against our will, they can go back against theirs then. No, but forced, there's no, no moral forced, argument. Forced re-migration. Because there just is no moral argument on this. There was no moral argument to bring them here. I mean, these further 13 million. Well, we know so, large-scale deportation campaigns have been done in the past before hmm, we had access many, many to times. the great range of technology that we have at the moment in the 1950s, Eisenhower uh, dispelled loads of illegal Mexicans from America, for yeah. instance. Didn't Pakistan deport a quarter of a million or half a million people like last, last month? Yeah. yeah. In, in about a month's span, they got rid of a quarter million. Oh, right. So, so if you want to do it, if there's political will to do it, it can be done. Easily. There's, there's but the resources of, of Pakistan. 
<laughs> the average wealth of $200 a month. Well, I think, to be fair, I think the leaders of Pakistan have something that our leaders don't, which is a semblance of a backbone. So that's the, Sadly. the point this chap's getting out there. Um, just to check in on everyone. So Nigel Farage, he was upset publicly. There you are. He said, many millions will move here that we have nothing culturally, historically, and literally uh, in common with. And I believe that the implications of that in our society will be very serious. Well, yes. Well, well, well. But stop it. Not even just that, that actively see us as the enemy yep. and group themselves together and behave in their own interests. So, I mean, it's, there's not a small number of problems come out of it. And um, what is hilarious is that that number of a million a year came out previous year, I think it was. And of course, British politics, I'm sure you guys can sense it, was radicalized on this issue because there's oh, well, no. No, we can't go down this path. This will actually ruin us within five to 10 years. And irreversibly so, if you go down that path. Because, of course, these people, if you just check out political data, well, they're also imported for a political cause, which is to displace the natives on political lines. Because if you can give them the right to vote, which is Labour and Green Party policy, only 90% vote for the Labour Party. So you will never get your nation back. Because if it's one man, one vote, and we import 13 million, bye, you've lost all your political power. So. Well, eventually, I would have thought, um, and I think there's precedence for this all over the world in all sorts of times, is that uh, once they've got a big enough body of people, uh, they just create their own party. So there'll be like a, a UK Hindu party or a, a UK... Or the Conservatives. <laughs> but eventually, <laughs> even that host will be... Yeah. The parasite will outgrow the host. Even. So that, they'll, make their, they'll be like a pro-Sharia party and all the Muslims vote for it, and suddenly it's a, it's a political power. So this has happened, I think, in every Western nation now. There's an Islam party in Belgium. There was one that was growing out of the Labour Party for a small period, and then it hasn't kicked off yet. But absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there'll be one that's just like a, a, a say, Tur we've got quite a lot of Turkish people coming, don't we? Um, like there'll be a, a pro-Turk party, mm. and they'll sort of all vote for it. And if they've got, you know, 5 million, 10 million people, it's quite Especially if they're in all in uh, enclaves as well, so they could they will return people to parliament that e way. Ethnic parties are really weird and are all around the world as well. It's actually quite unusual that they're not more common in the West. Because I'm thinking, I can't remember if it's Poland or, or some of the nations next to Turkey, but a bunch of them have small minorities and then political parties that literally just represent them, like the German Minority Party and weird stuff like that. So, well, I, I don't know if it's um, potentially illegal to explicitly do it in the UK because of the Equalities Act. So they would have to wrap it up in some kind of... Yeah. Um, We're open to all members. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Kufar. We're open to all uh, members as long as you're in favour of Sharia. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a way of sorting That out. narrows it down a little bit. But it's, of course, if you were to start a party that explicitly said, uh, we are for the interests of the native British people, then you would get the hammer down on it. Yeah. Okay. We're being told there's a problem with the chat. There's... So I, I do have to move on just for the okay. sake of time, sorry. Right. But um, yeah, the ONS data, which we've touted a lot, um, yeah, that's already out of date. We'll be out of date very soon. A ridiculous amount, just keep in mind. Yeah. And um, moving on. Um, a reminder that this is what the country actually looks like. Because, of course, the ONS is saying what will happen if the Conservatives or Labour get in. Well, but when you go and ask the public what do you think on the issue of immigration, the blue uh, constituents here are those saying reduce the numbers and tighten controls. Which is basically everyone. So. What do you want? And um, then there's the question of what Britain will look like. So this is Matt Goodwin. He's made a graph with that data. As you can see here, the blue line is the net births over the 
to 2050. And the red line is net migration. So, yeah, I mean, I, the word replacement used to be a bit taboo, but then it just became government policy. I mean, factually, when they're just saying, yes, 7 million of you will leave and we will import 13 million. That's just a 2035 there. Well, it is a demographic suicide, is what it is. It's suicidal. Yeah. And um, the other responses from this I didn't understand is that there are still some people who don't understand why we don't want to die for this. So this is uh, Colin Brazier here, who's responding to that poll about whether or not you'd go for conscription. And he says, a quarter of British men would rather submit to the, uh, submit to the UK's takeover by hostile power than take up arms. And he's disappointed by this. And just everyone in the comments is like, well, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are we defending? Mm. So I mean, the, the kind of settlement we have here is very similar to the West Bank at this point. So what do you expect? But uh, yeah, the MSM response is, is to waste time on crap like this instead. Oh, no, microaggressions. Yeah, this is a clip in which um, BBC News and I are spending their time talking about microaggressions. And uh, the reason I even bring this up is not just because random thing, but most of the responses were from feminist types, you know, like Posey Parker. Don't even call themselves feminists, to be fair. But they're all just like, no, fix the borders. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all the uh, yeah. sexual assault's coming from on mass because yeah. of uh, a recent event, which I uh, bring up another time. They always say that, don't they? They say something like uh, anti-Semitic attacks are on the rise or something like, um, you know. Uh, yeah, by who? It, right, ex exactly. Yeah, the amount of war memorials that have been desecrated is on the rise. The amount of Jewish graves that have been desecrated is on the rise. The amount of just rape, the amount of acid attacks is on the rise. It's, Oh, just the native white white men of England have become there's, significantly there's a, more insane. Well, what's happened is there, there's, okay. a, there's a floating abstract notion of anti-Semitism floating through the air that's just happened to rise, and Jewish people are feeling that feeling the sting. No, there are f concrete people doing this, flesh and blood people. They are on camera outside the Holocaust Museum in Germany, shouting, "Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler, you were right." Oh, that's just. We have them on camera doing it. And you look at them and they're not very German. That would be they don't hilarious. really speak German. They're, they're shouting that part in English, for example. That would be hilarious if the camera somehow just had speakers and started to blast that out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you're entirely correct. It's not the, the, uh, you know, the, the guys in the country pub who have suddenly right, started... Yeah. Suddenly become... Hmm. Yeah. Honor like, killings. It's like Sweden going from one of the least rapey places to one of the most rapey places in the space of five or ten years. Or they're well, sort like of pickled herring, I tell well, you. Yeah. Or the amount of grenade attacks have gone from zero to the most in Europe in the same period. It's like, oh, Swedish men have just suddenly become much more grenadey and rapey out of nowhere, have they? Okay, all right. That's <laughs> How what's does happened. People become more grenadey. <laughs> they just love their grenades. The Swedes, the yeah. native Swedes, just love grenade it's attacks. It's China. China's been flooding Sweden with grenades. <laughs> clearly, they go for their fika and they get yourself a little bit of coffee and a cinnamon bun. And who doesn't want to go for a grenade attack after that? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody ever wants to sit down. You've just had a cinema. I remember as a boy playing past the grenade with, the, with my <laughs> friends. Oh, good yeah. times. Well, I'll end this off on um, something rather funny, I think, which is um, this went viral recently, which is a video from Nas Daily, who is um, a personal favorite of mine because he's, he makes content, as I've said before, for people who are actually retarded. And I'm not being mean. Like, genuinely, you watch the content and you realize, oh, God, <laughs> like, who is watching this stuff? Because it's so basic. It's the kind of thing you just find endlessly with 10 million views on Facebook. And you think, are kids watching this? Like, how is this watchable? But one of his um, employees decided to make one about Iceland. Yeah, you know where this is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We live in a country that is so safe. They have zero military, zero nuclear weapons, and almost zero crime. But how? To answer that, we have to take you to the country of... See, it's so safe here that parents leave their babies outside to nap alone. Because parents trust the community to keep their baby safe. The babies tend to sleep a lot better outside. The police do not carry guns because they don't need them. Everyone helps keep the streets safe. Iceland is a small country with a good social networking and uh, hopefully we're not going to carry guns in the future. Even the prisoners get keys to their own cell because they are trusted to do the right thing. <laughs> See, Iceland was ranked the world's safest country for the past 15 years. And it's not because they skipped the nuclear weapons. It's because everyone keeps it safe. Because Iceland is a small country and everybody knows everybody. So if you want a safe country, skip the borders and the guns. Instead, become friends with your name. That's what Yep, it's just no guns, yep. no nukes, and magic <laughs> soil. You notice she never mentioned anything about immigrants, but at the end they came up with, oh, get rid of the borders. What? <laughs> Wasn't even relevant to the discussion. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, even if you want to say that Iceland has like no borders or something, it's it's kind of got natural borders. The best ones. Called the ocean. The North Sea. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go swimming in the North Sea. And, it, and it's also got another layer of protection, which is it's freezing cold half the year round, which is not the most um, popular destination for some of the uh, visitors that we're getting. So for some reason they have, yeah, well, yeah, well statistically, if you're rounded to the nearest percent, I think it is 0%, not even 1%. Nice. Someone fact check me on that. It might be 1%. I'm pretty sure in Iceland they do have guns. It's just not a gun problem. It's not loads of homicides due yeah. to guns. It's like, for example, there's loads of countries like, I think, Norway or Canada, for example, countries where there's a massive, um, a massive load of hunting goes on. So in Canada, hunting's a massive thing. Mm. So lots and lots of people have got rifles and shotguns. I think it's the same in Norway. Most people have got a gun because hunting's are just a massive part of the culture. They don't go around um, shooting each other all that much. But we will never know things. why. Yeah, right. Literally, yeah, it cannot be found. It's, it's impossible to understand. I mean, yes. why? Be, being there, um, having been there once before, I will say the Icelandic people are all uh, the, the friendliest people that you could ever meet. They'll do anything for you on the street. They're absolutely lovely. Can't explain why. Nope. Nothing to it. If you just dropped, um, you know, a, a random Bamalian, they'd obviously just straight away. Yeah, it's, it's it's particularly inexplicable considering white people sort of inherently dangerous and racist and violent. Uh, yep. I was given to understand that, <laughs> uh, so yeah. it's particularly odd. That uh, Iceland... Very very strange. But there we are. I'll end that there. Which is, um, yeah, they literally have no shame. In fact, we now have a promise from the government that they will continue mass immigration if Labour or Tories win. And um, some people are just incapable of learning, I guess. <laughs> I think John, why is it so safe? John might be trying to highlight as well that right now in politics trending on Twitter, there's 230 or so thousand posts about illegals. Yeah, we'll yeah. cover that on Monday, I think. That should be fun. Let's move on. All right, yeah, let's move on. So, um, apologies in advance, Bo. I don't know uh, exactly what, <laughs> how much interest that you'll have in this one. Oh, okay. But I think you'll, you, you might be able to take some interest from it anyway because... Uh, there is a major trend that we've seen in pop culture and media for years now of trying to turn the bad guy 
into the coolest guy, and you need to valorize the villains of any story, and you need to see that the, the good guys, the goody two-shoes, they're actually Boy Scouts, they're evil because they uphold order, order being fascism, and therefore you need to, uh, you need to sympathize with the forces of chaos, and therefore be the bad guy, because to be honest, our entire culture valorizes chaos, valorizes hedonism if you want to be able to live in an orderly kind place with structure like say in iceland as we were just discussing that means that you're a terrible terrible person and this what i've got coming now is an excellent example of that because there has been a new game released just the other day i think two days ago in fact called suicide squad kill the justice league now all right i watched the original suicide squad didn't care. It's not based on the films, although it's obviously right. taken a lot of inspiration from them. Uh, nobody really cared about the Suicide Squad until they started getting shoved down people's throats, probably as a result of the oversaturation that we've had of Harley Quinn media in the past 15 years or so. Harley Quinn used to just be in Batman universe, um, Joker's quirky girlfriend. But over the past 15 years, she has morphed from that and they've tried to turn her into her own pop cultural icon feminist empowerment symbol where she got over her toxic boyfriend and now she just lives her quirky goofy life and she's out with her friends doing fun things you know it, it's it's that kind of attitude but honestly i'm sick of it i want them to retire the character uh, and i want them to retire this constant safe edgy villains are the good guys heroes are the bad guys really deep down when you think about it and it follows up what i was talking with you about recently on the podcast channel where we spoke about um watchmen and how alan moore the creator of watchmen just can't get over he can't understand why the one character he wrote with any principles who wasn't just a nihilist in the story of watchmen is the one that loads of people connect with and enjoy as a character Rorschach, oh, well, he's smelly and he eats beans straight from the tin. Why would you like him? Well, because he has morals, he has guiding principles, and he murders the bad guys who need murdering. Like, one of the scenes you wrote into the story is him killing a pedophile who got away with it. And you expect, but, but then again, Alan Moore, I would expect you... <laughs> Why would people like this? Alan I have no Moore, idea, mate. Some, no. Of the, some of the stories he's written, you would probably have been expecting, why didn't they empathize with the pedophile? being a fat communist himself. Yeah, isn't Alan Moore one of those people a bit like, uh, perhaps a bit like Stephen King, where some of the things they've written are superb? Yes, there's sort of by no, accident. There's sort of no question <laughs> that their ability to write and to tell stories is excellent. Um, but then when you get them talking about politics in their real life, they're, they're just sort of in, an insane... He is an insane boom, communist. a libtard. He's a full-on communist. Right, okay. And he, he also, okay. in the 1990s or 2000s, he wrote a story that was about lots of teenage fairy tale characters like Alice from Alice in Wonderland meeting up together and sexually experimenting with one another, illustrated by his wife, strangely. So take that as you will. So the Suicide Squad game is based within the Arkham universe. Do either of, have either of you played the Batman Arkham games? No. All right. So I, I remember one had like nine out of tens all over the place. The, um, all four of them were all very, very highly rated when they came out because the first one, Arkham Asylum, came out in 2009, which was at the tail end of the PlayStation 2 early PS3 uh, franchise games um, uh, trend where you would get lots of PlayStation 2 games and other consoles 
releasing superhero and other franchise games, licensed games, that weren't very good. You would get the occasional gem, like a Spider-Man 2 would come out, but most of them were really quick rush jobs uh, made so that they could align with the release date of a film. They weren't very well made. They were never very well reviewed. Arkham Asylum was done by a, a British company called Rocksteady, who put a lot of love and effort into it. It really showed it was a smash hit. And then the other two games released by them, Arkham City and Arkham Knight, excellent, very well reviewed. They even had a spin-off Arkham Origins, which was also fantastic, if not quite as well received when it first came out. And people through that experienced a story of Batman from all the way when he started to the end of his career, and they fell in love with the character. And Suicide Squad has pissed people off because, as you know, what, you like a good guy? You like a good guy who explicitly stands up against the forces of chaos. Can't be having that, can we? And just to confirm, there are articles questioning it. Is it set in the Arkham universe? Before I go on to some major spoilers since the game has come out, although these spoilers have been available for a little bit, for a reason we'll get into in just a moment. And they say in here, yes, it is in the same canon in fact, there are lots of references to the original four games, and also there is a Batman museum where you can examine all of the events of the original Arkham games. So this is set within the same universe. This is done by Rocksteady, who are the games studio who did the original three games. Not the spin-off, but this is the first game, I think, that they've released in that time for nine years. I think they might have had something to do with one called Gotham Knights, but I'm not fully up to speed on that. And then it came out the other day, and immediately, articles start coming out like this earlier today from BBC. Where are the reviews for it? Why is no one reviewing this game? Why is nobody talking about it positively in the mainstream media? After years in development, it's finally out, but where are the reviews? Kill the Justice League is a tough follow-up for the UK-based studio. Its Arkham trilogy of Batman games were innovative, influential, and are regarded by some as the greatest superhero titles ever. I would probably agree with that. Fans of those single-player adventures weren't too impressed when Kill the Justice League, a multiplayer-focused squad shooter, always online, was first revealed in 2020. That's another part of the trend here. Single-player game franchise, then you turn it into a squad-based multiplayer shooter so that you can try and extract money from people constantly because with that kind of format, the live service model, you can always have microtransactions, tiny slivers of content that you can be releasing that kind of nickel and dime, you penny pinch your way into making a profit on games like this. The biggest concern for many was the studio shift from one player games to a live service multiplayer model where a stream of new content, usually with an extra charge, is regularly added to the game. After early previews of the game were less than positive, major gaming site IGN, which published one of them, said it had been refused a review copy. It wasn't alone. Most journalists only received codes on Tuesday when the online game servers were switched on. So that's an interesting sign. And then you get articles like this. Why Batman fans hate Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League. And yeah, it's because the game lives up to its subtitle. Kill the Justice League. Batman's a part of the Justice League. So this character, who is the same character that you followed all of this time, you've seen all of his struggles, you've gone through all of his emotional ups and downs, you kill him as part of this. Really unceremoniously as well. Because the Suicide Squad themselves are joke characters. Harley Quinn is the insane girlfriend of Joker. One of the characters is a big shark. One of the other characters is a guy who uses a boomerang as a weapon. Yeah, these are the guys who are going to end up killing Superman, Batman, The Flash in the most 
disrespectful ways possible. So the flagship character that you built your reputation as a studio off of, let's humiliate him and destroy him in the worst way possible because otherwise chuds like myself wouldn't know that he's not cool anymore. You have to be in with the Harley Quinn crowd. You have to be Boomerang Man's biggest fan now. Do they make you shoot Batman in the dick? <laughs> because that is what always seems to be in these feminist that was in Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's, in, it's actually in quite a few things where the baddie gets shot in the dick and uh, feminist types or soy boys always think it's hilarious. They always think it's hilarious. They don't go quite that far, but they do have it so that Harley Quinn is the one that pulls the trigger. Harley Quinn, who in the second game, Arkham City, when you're first introduced to her in that one, um, is a joke boss fight because she tries to attack Batman and he basically just bitch slaps her to the side because he's Batman and she is an acrobatic former mental health nurse. Like she was a psychiatrist. She's not anything threatening to him. But no, now she's the one killing him. And uh, after this, searches, this isn't exactly translating to direct refunds, but even before the game came out, searches on Google for Suicide Squad refund surged 791%. And there was another reason for that, because as with all online service model games, as with all games in general, you can't release them as a proper product, as a fully finished product that works. And there were immediate issues. After launch of the preview, Rocksteady took the game entirely offline to fix a devastating bug that would lead to new players receiving 100% completion of the entire game without having done anything. Sounds like a pretty big bug. Yeah. I really want to bring back physical CD-ROMs for video games <laughs> so the developers actually have to fix the fucking thing before they send it to you. This led to major story spoilers permeating even further around the web and considering the story is one of the few positive points, and we'll get to that, from the preview round, it comes in as particularly egregious. As an always online game, even if you're playing solo for the story, you no longer have access as Rocksteady continues its maintenance periods. So if other massive bugs happen like that and they need to take the service offline, this game that you paid 60, 70, however much you paid for it, because games are getting more expensive by the day, you can't access it. You can't touch it. You just have yeah. to stare at a screen that says servers are in maintenance right now. But Sincerely, bring, bring back. It has to be a Blu-ray disc. I don't care. I want physical yeah. discs again where I own the thing and it has to be finished when it's sold to me. I know. I, f I feel like there needs to be some kind of class action against game <laughs> studios. <laughs> yeah. So they say, right, if you're selling me a game, if I'm paying for a game, yeah. it needs to be finished. Because loads of games have been doing this for ages where you'll buy the disc because you, even if you get the disc, it, you can still have updates sent to it uh, through your online services. You buy the disc, you put the disc in, and people have found, I think it was one of the Street Fighter games that came out in the past few years by Capcom, that they sold you um, a release day DLC for the game that people jailbroke and found was on the disc already. It was actually on the disc. They just locked it off, and you had to pay an extra bit of money for a code that would unlock that content on the disc for you. You should be sued for that. I'm sorry, there's... There is no excuse for that kind of behavior. You are a snake oil salesman. You are a shookster. I have sold you a washer dryer, but you must now pay me 20 bucks for the download code for the washer setting. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, is this a PC game then, I take it? Uh, it? I think PC and consoles, I think. So 
I was wondering why, before the game even came out, why there were loads of clips and audio files from the game later on, like the audio file of Batman being killed was already on Twitter. And I wondered how they'd got a hold of that. And it was because of this, because of this massive effort that they had that meant, oh, I can, I can just go through the whole, I've not even done anything and I've beat the game somehow. Let's watch some of the cutscenes. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, there, there, was, there was all that going on. Uh, to add salt to the wound as well, the classic Batman actor, the voice actor for the cartoons ever since the 1990s, Kevin Conroy, had died back in 2022. And it was originally reported, I don't think it's accurate now, but it was originally reported that this was his last performance in the role because he'd done all of the Arkham games before as well, except the spin-off one. Uh, so people were very annoyed that his last performance for the role was one in which the character was humiliated and spat on. But at the same time, he was a progressive, as much as I respect the work that he did, and he did agree to do the, st- uh, to do the role and come back for it, and he agreed to uh, this depiction of the character and said that he quite enjoyed it. So you know, that, that, that's, that's on him. As much as I respect the work that he did, he chose to be part of it. Um, and then let's, let's go to see some of the other things that have come out about the game. So we have these screens where um, you've got the description of Wonder Woman versus the description of Green Lantern, who is... Um, uh, to be fair, John Stewart has been a diversified version of the Green Lantern since the 90s, so you can't complain about that. Although Wonder Woman looks particularly diversified in this, 100% diverse cast here. It's, it's not Wonder Woman. Green Lantern used to be white, though, but just a long time ago. There was ago. Hal Jordan, and then in, I think it was in the early 90s, the, um, a big storyline killed him off for a bit, and they replaced him with this guy, John Stewart. This wasn't there a film, and it was... Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he was playing the original. Hal Jordan's since come back. It's comic books. Okay. Timelines are confusing. The stories are, are, are ridiculous. Uh, and uh, look, I barely even know the guy past his reputation. Oh, he's just a wholesome all-American. Oh, I just don't like him. It's very snarky, very millennial writing. But then in this one, Themyscira, the all-female land that Diana comes from, is a place where it's, uh, they've solved so many of our society's ills broken democracy, lagging technology, toxic masculinity. How would they even exist? Well, that's, that's how they solved it. Just don't have men. You don't what? have toxic masculinity. No men, no masculinity, no toxic masculinity. It just makes sense. In a land sense. full of women, we had the problem of toxic masculinity and then solved it. Uh, apparently, maybe they weren't all women in the past. <laughs> and then Maybe yeah. they were women plus. Yeah, there, <laughs> there were obviously women plus there. <laughs> There's other things uh, like I, I'm not going to show any of the clips because they're way too long. But okay, I've copyright strike. Yeah, I've verified this myself. This is a 4chan post explaining what happened. So the Flash actually gets pissed on after you kill him. Green Lantern gets stripped down to his dorky Green Lantern themed boxes. So humiliations all around. Batman is mocked, then shot in the head on a park bench. But Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, she one doesn't turn evil because the reason you're killing them in the first place is because they've all turned evil due to a villain called Brainiac except for Wonder Woman who happened to somehow avoid the brainwashing why are we killing her uh well well we're not killing her she gets a tragic death because she almost saves you to kill superman but uh but loses in a way that's not her fault and then all of the squad members the people like Harley Quinn and Boomerang the, guy the and human shark, shark. Guy, <laughs> yeah they they cry for her so it's 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 so obvious. It's very telling what they're trying to do here. And then, uh, then there's also this stuff in the game. In this, the accidental funniest tweet ever made, the Suicide Squad says trans rights. 
There's the a... villains no. are yet again on our side. No, no, no uh, Callum, the, the suicide squad. Oh, no. Says trans <laughs> oh, rights. Oh, no. I didn't even. I didn't even oh, oh, dear. I think. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> they, they might not have thought this one through. <laughs> ah, ah. So, what changed? What, what changed? <laughs> yeah. I'll let you settle on that one for a second there. Yep. They don't think about That's my hammer. Do that. Yep. <laughs> it needs to go. It all needs to go. <laughs> um, so what changed? Because it's the same company, supposedly the same yeah. company, Rocksteady, doing all of this. You know, so what? I hate everything we did. Either all of the people in charge, you know, smacked themselves in the head with a hammer, and this is what happened afterwards. Because to be fair, even the technical aspects, the game they did in 2015, Arkham Knight, looks better graphically than this. So everything has gone downhill. So let's take a look. So in the first one, Arkham Asylum, you can see the writing credits here. Bob Kane is listed just because he, he's the, along with Bill Finger, the creator of Batman, so he always gets cre uh, credited. Uh, directed by Sefton Hill, Paul Dini was the writer and the lead narrative designer was this guy. And then you've got the rest of it. So who was Paul Dini? Paul Dini was actually one of the main people in charge of the Batman animated series. He is an, uh, a very well-known comic book writer. Here's all of his television screenwriting, films he's written, all of his bibliography with comic books, and he's been given uh, a number of awards. He's been nominated for Emmy Awards. He's won Comics Industry Awards. A man with a great pedigree behind him. They thought, we need a really good start for this Batman story. Let's get the Batman writer in for it. Makes perfect sense, right? And with him, they wrote some great stories. The Suicide Squad. Different director, completely different writers. Paul Dini, not involved at all. Why are there like 10 of them as well? That's a good question. Well, let's find out. So who are these people? So we've got Ben Schroeder, expiring video game writer, pronouns. <sighs> Ali B. <laughs> Ali B. I would choose this to represent myself. Oh, sorry. She, they. Yep. She, they, script writer at Rocksteady Games. I, 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 hate, I hate to judge people on their appearance, but another she, her here. I just. Yep. She, her, uh, <laughs> writer and narrative designer, Sweet Baby Inc., previously at Rocksteady Games. We've got Grant K. Roberts, he, he him, him, Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights. <laughs> <Your> face. <laughs> Look at those faces. <laughs> Look at the expression that on that guy's face. This He's man, chosen this to. This man is an actual soy. Sorry, yeah. Jack. This oh. is what these people choose to represent themselves like this. If I was going to try and create a character to represent Soy Boys, it would look <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yep. And then finally, Kim Belair, she, her, writer, narrative designer, CEO of Sweet Baby Incorporated. So, I remember them? Yeah, you might remember them. So, this Grant is also Sweet Baby. Amy Lee Shaw, also Sweet Baby. The actual CEO of Sweet Baby Incorporated is a writer on this game, or at least has been given a writing credit. So who are Sweet Baby? Let's go to their Twitter That's account. What I was going to ask. Yeah, heard it. Well, they these, tw th these tweets are protected. Narrative and development and design, script writing, consultation, and more. Check out... What, what is that? What is that hat doing there? <laughs> the, the, <laughs> 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 Pat African hat. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yep. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We was Ethiopians and Egyptians and yep. Yep. So, 
So if you're interested in Sweet Baby Ink, you need to check out Battle Shapers, Spider-Man 2, which we covered, oh, God. and uh, Alan Wake 2. And uh, Spider-Man 2, we know how that went, where yeah. one of the side missions you could play as a black deaf girl spray-painting slogans. What were those slogans she was spray-painting? We BIPOC artists are birds of a feather to find the next clue all band together. So actual ethnic resentment and uh, ethnic solidarity propaganda being put into games. Sweet Baby Inc., you can go to their website, and it's very telling. Founded in 2018, Sweet Baby Incorporated is a narrative development and consultation studio based in Montreal, working around the globe. Our mission is to tell better, more empathetic stories while diversifying and enriching the video games industry. We aim to make games more fun, more engaging, more meaningful, and probably most importantly, more inclusive for everyone. Also, look at how creepy this website is. The eyes follow the curse. Literally, the eyes are following me. That's the ass swirly things at the top as well. We believe this is their services. You need diverse voices to solve diverse problems. Sweet Baby <sighs> Incorporated provides a narrative consultation at any stage of development. So these people will basically prime people outside of just the consultation and writing that they will do for the game studios. They will also take newbies in the industry and provide consultation services for them where they will prep them for being social justice advocates in everything that they do for all of the game studios that they might go to work with. And they work with a lot. So here's some of the stuff. Alan Wake 2 worked on character arc, voice and sensitivity reading. Alan Wake 2... And the sensitivity reading. Uh, I think this game was about 13 years in the making. The first one was a very interesting horror uh, thriller based around uh, basically uh, an homage to both Stephen King and Twin Peaks at the same time. Very interesting. Wasn't everybody's cup of tea. This, for some reason, decided to add this character, who I'm going to call Black Grievance Lady, to have no real part in the plot, just so that she can stand around and talk about Black Grievances. What else have they worked on? Spider-Man 2, we've talked about that. God of War Ragnarok, the game where it decided that North mythology needed some black people in it, for some reason. An, an entire hour walking simulator section dedicated to random black character in Norse mythology. Interesting. And who else have they worked with? Our clients. Xbox Game Studios, EA, Valve, Santa Monica, Square Enix, Ubisoft, 2K, Warner Brothers, Deck Nine, who made Connor's favorite games, Life is Strange, Rocksteady, right there, Polytron. They work with some big companies to make a lot of games and have direct influence on a lot of these games. They also have their influences. Uh, make, put a chick in it and make her gay, essentially. Yeah. Make her like... gay and make her black. <laughs> make her a woman. <laughs> it feels like this is sort of Anita Sarkeesian's dream has come true. This is why I've she said won. she yeah. won. This is why I said she won, because this... Is this actually right. her shell company? She's the <laughs> secret majority shareholder. Not exactly, uh, but you can... Sweet baby. I can yeah. guarantee that these people are all big fans of Anita Sarkeesian. They also have a substack which you can go to where Friends of the Baby, the, the marketing, the actual branding around this whole company is very, very strange. The whole choice for Sweet Baby, Friends of the Baby, brought to you by Baby Power. Very, very weird. But they talk in here, this is the most recent one. Here's all of the games. Here's all of the absolute slop that we released and had a hand in. We put a lot of chicks in it and made them gay. <laughs> <laughs> Over the past year or so, we've got six things. Uh, we're, uh, look at this thing that we're working on in the future. Our friends at Surgeon Studios 
dropped the trailer for the upcoming action-adventure platformer, Tales of Kenzeru. Zow! We had the utmost pleasure of working with Abubakar, Salim, and the Surgeon team on this poignant story, which has been heavily inspired and influenced by Bantu mythology. We're gonna. So I assume this is like um African ethnic cleansing simulator. Why would Abu Bakr be writing that? That's, I don't. <laughs> it's probably East African. Yeah, 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 yeah. probably. So here's some more out just propaganda it's where, like idol where you know the Bantus. They're just going to be depicted as the most peaceful, nature loving, cooperative peoples to have ever existed on our beautiful Sweet. green earth. And if, if if white man gets involved in it, you just know it's going to be to ruin everything and enslave them. So I feel more and more vindicated in my decision to stop playing any games in my 30s, oh. in my oh, early 30s. Yeah. I haven't really played games since GameCube came out. That was probably a good cut-off point for it. GameCube was a good game. Uh, I, I quite liked Monkey Ball on the GameCube. That's about... No playing Rome Total War or Medieval Total War? You'd love a those. little bit of Rome 2. Okay. Uh, a little bit. I'm not completely 100% game free. I know. Play Rome, Rome 1. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Just there, there are a few, yeah, real-time strategy and large-scale strategy games that you can yeah. play where you can just take over the world. You I got know? hung up on Civ 4, Civ Maya Civilization 4, which is really old now. Yeah, I haven't played Civ 5 <laughs> or 6. Got no intention of, of, of buying an, an, any new console I know lots of people comes are out. fans of Hearts of Iron 4 where you can basically make any and all World War II simulations that you want come true. But you ever well. noticed that all of those games, they're incredibly diverse, but they're not shite. No, they're not. It's, <laughs> they're not <laughs> inclusive. I do see adverts for games sometimes, and I think, oh, if I had endless time and money, I'd buy a brilliant gaming PC and get into that. Like um, Cyberpunk, when that came out, I said, mm. I thought to myself, if I had the time and inclination, I would get involved in that universe. It looks great. Mm. I'm interested. To but, be fair, to, but um, not enough to actually go out and buy it and make it happen, spend my evenings in doing that. So especially yeah, I'm just not into games anymore. C- CD Projekt Red. Interestingly, Polish company, and not as far as I'm aware, it connected to any of these Sweet Baby style studios yet. Uh, so they made Witcher 3, which was very famously screeched at by Sarkeesian types for not having any black people in it. Yeah, it's based on Polish mythology from the Middle Ages. They, they wouldn't know what a black person was back then. Same thing happened with Kingdom Come Deliverance. Oh, yeah. Made That's by a all- Czech company. Yeah. Like- yeah, there are no black people in medieval Czechia. What do you? <laughs> yeah, and that was aiming, that was striving for historical accuracy as well. For that, I think the the developer of that got labeled a Nazi. So that's always fun. Yeah, and he just went, "Ha ha! I live in the Czech Republic. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> Checkmate." <laughs> so just to finish this off, I did a little bit of digging and found that there was this interview panel that they did, where it's a presentation where the CEO Kim Blair, one of the people who wrote Suicide Squad. And David Bedard, because they're Canadian, so they're French Canadian, so they've got Frenchy, kind. Frenchy style names. They spoke about um, the start of the company, what they're doing. This <laughs> dislike ratio. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Um, also, comments turned off. Yeah. yeah, that's to be expected. They say I'll only play one clip, but there are a few screen grabs I want to point to here because they talk about how they want to include more marginalized voices. There is an amusing visual. This whole time, which I can only imagine mirrors the studio dynamics in that the entire time this woman is talking, the black woman is talking, while the white guy is focusing on getting the work done and moving them through the slideshow. Um, so so that, that's, 
<laughs> That's interesting. Um, so they used to work in Ubisoft, which is a French-Canadian company, yeah. and then they started this after they left in 2018. They've been part of other companies since then, and you can see a bit of uh, why they decided to leave these larger studios in this, where she says, a long time ago, 2018, this is Kim, her backstory, abusive game studio A, tra uh, abusive transmedia studio B, what did I have to deal with? Pressure. Oh no, not pressure. You don't want to be pressured to do your job. Toxicity, misogyny, racism, etc., etc. Just because you know how it goes. Everybody yeah. who works for us, you know how it goes. Don't believe you. Just don't believe you. Right, yeah. yeah. It's like someone who finds problems endlessly in their life. Just like everyone around me is causing me to be abused or toxic or racist. Like it is like an incel who's telling you that it's all the girls that don't like me. All of the girls are wrong. All of them. Right. <laughs> well, the interesting okay. thing with this is that these people were already working in the industry. They started back in 2013 in very large companies. And they came from those companies, started this studio, which immediately started to get work with those companies again. Although it seems the business picked up in 2021, 2020, uh, 2020, 2021, primarily due to BLM stuff, which is unsurprising. A lot of these companies wanted to prove their anti-racism credentials. But essentially, it seems to me that if it weren't for a company like this existing, either these places would do it in-house or there would just be other companies, which there are. Uh, but other companies like this would exist because this isn't an involuntary thing that these game studios are doing to themselves, it seems. These are the people who were in the companies and now they just exercise more control over those companies up to this point. So it seems because it, some people are saying that this company is forcing these companies to go woke. No, these companies are choosing to do it. There's also this slide. If I get the uh, time hit, time here. So year one, what were they focusing on? They were focusing on getting representation as innovation, which was their thesis. And they say that the explanation for that was that um, it's not that they wanted to look at something and say, this offends me. They were looking at something and saying, I don't see myself in this. And that's okay. Narcissist, go looking in mirror. Yeah. So yeah, it's narcissistic, isn't it? It's just all about me. Have you heard of mirrors? You'll love them. Yeah. But uh, that's most of the actual uh, interesting information. But there was one last bit at the end that I had to clip. I had to clip in here because it's so telling. Because they're constantly going on about how it's very neurodivergent, inclusive. Kim herself says that she's neurodivergent. Oh, I bet. They're really <laughs> wanting to make sure that lots of uh, mentally ill people yeah. can work comfortably for them. And that impacts, as you would imagine, the work ethos and the way that they manage their projects. And let's hear how that translates. Damn. Into, uh, let me get the proper timestamp up here. Let's see how that translates into their work ethic, if I go about here. Specificity of that neurodiversity. Uh, I'm still firmly convinced that us as the neurodiverse people are in the vast majority in this industry. And oh, it, yeah. It's the people that don't have these issues are the yes. ones that I worry about. The ones like, that, they're also conveniently too much, too often making the production plans. And I'm like, wait a second. No, we can work differently. This is, we don't do plans. Yeah, exactly. We procrastinate and then get eight hours yes. of work done in an hour. 30 minutes before it's finalized. Yes, that's how we work things. Well, oh, actually, that's a, that's a, a good point. At yeah, it's a really good point yeah. One of the reasons that we, we in terms of payment, we work on retainers. We do like a monthly rate. And it's specifically because I know that there's going to be days where I have a script to write and it should take me a week and I do it in one hour. 
But then there's also going to be scripts that should take me one hour and I do it in a week. But as long as it gets done by the deadline, that's, what's, that's what matters. So kind of baking in that flexibility and not holding people down to like a certain number of hours that they have to self-report has been hugely, I think, freeing for us as a team, especially one who have different work methodologies. And, and Spoken like a lazy moron. Yeah. So, you know, all that who cares is. if you shat it out in an hour? As long as it's on the deadline, who cares? What's more important is, is it any good? Right, yeah. And so far, it's shite. Yeah, that's how, that's how you behave when you're an undergrad or when you're a child. That's how you behave. You're well, like, I've got this big essay. It needs to be done. Here's the hard deadline. And you just procrastinate until you've, not, you've got hardly any time left. And you rush it out just in time for the hard deadline. Yeah, that's how a, a sub-adult conducts themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, they are going on about how mentally ill they are. like it. And, uh, I used to do it, by the way. Yeah, that is the story all, of my undergrad we, we days and my A-levels. That's how I got through my A-levels. But when you're a paid professional right, working yeah. with the biggest game studios in the world and Valve as well... I don't know. I mean, if she could do it and it was gold, you wouldn't care. Yeah, but... But it's not gold, right. Callum. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. That is a fair point. This, this, right. this was an yeah. idea half an hour before the deadline. Oh, shit. Uh, uh, you uh, deaf, uh, black, uh, <laughs> spray paint. Uh, what are they going to say? Uh, something about black people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see how this got made now. <laughs> yeah. It makes so much more sense now, Put a chicken it? and make her deaf. And <laughs> <laughs> <Get> black. <laughs> Fuck me. So... There you go. If you're wondering why games suck now, um, now, that's certainly one of the reasons. So if you are going to keep playing games, either play strategy games like Callum suggested or just get an old PS2 or GameCube, stick to the classics. Mm. Mm. Well, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll have to move to Farmers and, and quickly, I suppose. Okay, yeah, no worries. I've got to get me, get me a mouse here. Well, John's already done it. Well, okay, so I wanted to talk about one of the stories which the most of the mainstream media seems to be largely, if not entirely, ignoring, which is all sorts of farmer-based unrest in the continent. <laughs> um, it seems to be in Germany, France, Belgium, Holland, uh, researching for this in Romania even. They've got a border with Ukraine. Um, trying to... So it seems that the farmers, uh, the farmer demographic has sort of started to come to the very end of their tether in all sorts of ways. And one of the things that blew up in, oh, sh shouldn't use that word exactly. Uh, one of the things that almost literally blew up um, was in, in Brussels, in Belgium then, um, at, at the EU headquarters. And this is just one of lots of ongoing stories where the, 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 the farmers from Belgium went outside one of the EU buildings, because there's many, there's actually many, many buildings that are like the EU in and around Brussels. Um, and they started a massive fire, um, quite spectacular looking. I don't think it actually did a great deal. You know, that, that there's no breakdown of law and order. It didn't burn down the EU and it's gone forever, no. Yeah, they didn't gut the building. They didn't ransack um, and level the building. But and, nonetheless... It's symbolic, though. Yeah, right. No, it's, it's better than nothing. It's, it's some sort of pushback. Um, there's the argument. There's a lot of people um, say you shouldn't really ever protest shouldn't really ever do these things because it's counterproductive because you just get yourself put on lists and all sorts of things. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a believer in, um, you know, standing up for what you think's right, even at the cost of your own liberty sometimes and all sorts of things like that. There you go. I get, get called a fed for saying such a thing. Nevertheless, I think it was great when... Uh, <laughs> believe in liberty? When, <laughs> when they, they, they made a statement, right? Yeah. They made some sort of statement 
for me, that's better than nothing. Um, the riot police did go in. There's one clip I've got there, uh, John, where it says tear gas and water cannon. That clip. The 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 uh, the police in Belgium just did sort of go in with sh- shot a few uh, tear gas shells and uh, used a water can, quite a, a low pressure water can. It looked like to me. But um, I think that's further along, John, on the uh, YouTube. Doesn't matter too much. Here's just some pictures. Um, just just click through some of the links, John, at your discretion. I'm not talking about any of them in uh, great specificity. So you can just go through them. Um, yeah, it just seems that in France, um, they've been doing they've, they've what they've some of them have called the siege of Paris, where they're trying to cut off some of the roads in and around Paris. Apparently, there's a massive one of the the biggest sort of uh, markets for fresh produce is just north of Paris somewhere. And the, the French farmers tried to sort of um, shut off access to that, not to literally starve Paris. For some people are saying that you're trying to trying to starve Paris into submission. That's not on the cards. That's not exactly what they're trying to do. But symbolically, you know, again, it's it's a symbolic statement. Remind, that's reminder being made. of who makes your food. Yeah. And why would you mess with us? Mm. But at the end of that, you starve mm. and we leave. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, I think that's the fire in in. In Brussels, I believe. Um, what a beautiful language. And uh, <laughs> the German farmers. Uh, we um, have, <laughs> have a nine problem. A serious problem. Sorry. Sorry. The German, sorry. The German farmers seem to have um, a specific grievance. Well, that's one of the things I want to talk about. What is the actual problem? What's going on? Mm. Well, on the surface of it, um, it's just to do with sort of uh, costs going up. More taxes, for example, the German farmers say that the Germans are putting their taxes up on diesel. A lot of tractors run off of diesel, so if there's just if your diesel just costs more, if your if your overheads or your your in and out ledger is very very finely balanced, then one little tax here or there could mean the difference between going bust or not. Um, but actually, the story is a bit deeper than that. I think um, it's not just simply that in the last year or two or three, there's suddenly been some sort of political or economic war on farmers and they've decided to get out of their pram and go on protests sort of suddenly. I think the story is a lot longer and deeper than that. Um, So I wanted to talk a bit about, which is one of the things that if the mainstream media, corporate mainstream media, does talk about this stuff, if they do at all, if they recognise it's happening at all, they won't usually go into really any sort of background detail or any real detail. They'll just say there's some protests going on and, and that's it. Next thing, you know, like the Gilets Jaunes. You remember the yellow coats in, in France, which is still going on, I believe. It's been years now. Again, they say, oh, it's something to do with uh, the, the French law and that they wanted to make everyone wear high-vis jackets and uh, don't really worry about exactly what their grievance is because the real answer is there's a, a, massive, a massive load of different things that people were protesting against. And it's the same with these farmers. It's not just, oh, now there's a bit more tax on diesel. No, no, there'll be a whole number of things. Well, it, it seems to me, and um, John, I don't know, I've put it in Studio One, if you could get this up. It takes different forms in every place. We know in England, for instance, there's been lots of articles for, uh, for um, websites and newspapers talking about how the countryside is too white, farming is too white. Right. And then you see in 2022, there was this program where you could apply for a lump sum payment to leave or retire from farming. And it seems to me that with the targeting of it and the, how um, specific it always seems to be, that there does seem to be some kind of, I, I don't know, 
Zimbabweification being attempted of European farming markets. Markets. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, one of the broadest things that the farmers are up in arms about is just this general t- trend away from farming in Europe and their demonization and then them being crushed economically in all sorts of ways. That's sort of in the broadest general sense. Now, but that's been happening for decades, though. Um, it just seems that it's come to a crunch point where. Uh, well, there's one clip there, John. If you could play it, where it says "WEF," the war on farming. It's the, the last link, I believe. Wait, it, yeah, if you could just play that from about 39 seconds, 40 seconds in, just what this woman's saying. So, I mean, ecocide as a word is becoming more. It's becoming better known around the world, and the concept is generally mass damage and destruction of nature. She's talking um, about farming. But legally speaking, um, what our organisation and other collaborators aim to do is to have this recognised legally as a serious crime. Because one of the issues that sort of pervades all of this discussion is that we have a kind of cultural, very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take damage to people and property. Um, And that, I mean, you know, if you're campaigning for human rights, at least you know mass murder, torture, all of these things are serious crimes. But there's no equivalent in the environmental space. Um, and so, and, and okay, stop, you know, stop playing. You can stop playing. That. You get the point. This is she's farming is genocide. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're more important than the plants and animals. Sorry, I don't take this anti-humanistic view of just like, oh, humans are terrible. We need to kill all humans to make sure that I don't know, uh, blue tits can have a nicer environment to live in. Piss off. Don't be so foul, Harry. I know. <laughs> I thought we were talking about nature. Um, no, uh, no she, a classic sort of upper middle class champagne socialist midwit uh, psycho. psycho. I mean, she seems awful. <clears throat> Just talking about farming and agriculture as a type of genocide. Um, absolute madness. So anyway, I want to go back a little bit and talk about uh, the common agricultural policy, if anyone's ever heard of that, CAP. Now, the European project now, in 2023, is, you know, got to sort of crazy extreme lengths, but it first started off as in a much smaller way after World War II. Largely, one of the main points of it was to try and make sure that the big countries, Germany and France, don't ever go to war with each other ever again. That was a big part of it. If we could uh, work together as one, one political, one economic unit, then we'll never go to war with each other again. That's sort of one of the key tenets in it. Um, Another one of the key things, certainly by the early 60s, was um, how can we save our own, our own farming industry, largely in France, actually? Um, how can we make sure that our farmers don't just completely go out of business in the next few years? Because even then, even in the 1960s, it's much, much easier just to buy your corn off of Ukraine or somewhere, or off of Argentina, United buy States. your beef off of Argentina, yeah, or yeah, get uh, most of your food from America. It's just much cheaper to buy it from them than have a massive agricultural farming sector. Um, but it was one of the, it really was one of the flagship policies of the EEC, of the, the earlier forms of the European Union, is to, was to get involved, get the state involved in making sure French farmers don't go out of business. Now, some people will say, <laughs> might scoff a bit at me saying that, that I've, that's, that's too low resolution, there's much more to it than that which there is, I admit, but in a very, very broadly speaking, one of the main things Europe has always done is to make sure that French farmers, and European farmers, but largely French ones, don't go out of business to the point where they will get involved in the markets, they'll subsidise all sorts of things. And, uh, well, 
in, 19, in the early 60s, 80% of the budget for Europe went on, making, went on the common agricultural policy. 80%. And billions and billions of, of euros. Just to say, um, despite the weaknesses that we see now as a lot of those subsidies are becoming like worse for people, I'd imagine, I, I would say in a globalized market when there is the worry that yeah, most people are just going to buy from overseas, it makes sense to make sure that you still have a domestic mode of food production because as we all need food. Yeah, in a globalized market, it turns out that conflicts still do happen between states. And when they do, if one of those states happens to be where you're getting all of your food from, it makes a lot of sense to be able to have a backup plan, that being domestic food markets. That's the safest way well, to ensure that if war breaks out halfway across the world, that you're not all going to starve by proxy. Because it did happen with us with gas. Because I remember Theresa May turned off the last of the gas storage we had in this country. And when asked why she did it, she said, well, we live in a globalized economy now in which you just buy gas when you need it. Mm. Uh, yeah, that worked yeah. out well, didn't it, <laughs> Theresa? Yeah. Thanks. Obviously but failed. What if someone somehow accidentally blows up the gas pipeline that you, requ you require? Yeah. You know, you know, nothing like that would ever happen, would it? No, no. Um, but yeah, so, so just to be clear, um, I'm, not, I I'm on the side of the farmers, essentially. Not 100% because they've been kept alive artificially for decades at the expense of other European countries. But I'm still, I'm definitely on their side and I'm on I'm the side. I'm a enjoyer. All right, yeah. And, <laughs> and to, to have your country being able to make enough food so that people don't starve to death is a desirable thing, obviously. And if I had to, choose, if I had to um, choose between subsidizing an incredible range of farmers or an incredible range of restaurants, <laughs> I would much rather right. the farmers. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so uh, yeah, so to call the common agricultural policy a type of flagship policy for the European project is fair. I mean... At the moment, they spend something in the order of 58 billion euros a year goes to farmers, uh, European farmers, quite a lot of French ones, um, to make sure they uh, remain competitive or they just don't go out of business. Because by the early 90s, they changed policy a bit. Instead of um, trying to subsidise them in all sorts of ways, they just simply gave them money. That's what they do now. The EU just gives French farmers, not just French farmers, I hate to keep picking them out, but just gives European farmers money to make sure they don't completely go under. I think um, now that's... Clarkson's farm, he got a big lump sum of money to make sure that the mm. farm didn't go under. Right, yeah. Something like 70 grand per year, something like that. And we turned it off, I think, this year or last year. It's now zero they get. Because yeah, we're not in Europe anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's this idea of having sort of the free market is the best possible thing. If something's unsustainable economically, then it, it, it should die by rights. Um, but then there's this other thing that you want to be able to feed your country if things should all go wrong. Yeah, you don't want to starve randomly um, if war yeah. breaks out in Eastern Europe. Um, now, this idea that I said a little bit earlier about this general trend towards just squeezing farms and farmers more and more and more to the point where they're setting fire to EU buildings and trying to blockade Paris and things. It, so by 1980, the, the amount of the budget being spent was down to about 66%. In 2018, it was down to 38%. So it's still tens of billions of dollars every year, but it's becoming less and less and less. And also what the EU has done, not surprisingly, in the last few years as well, is keep adding more and more bureaucracy, more and more red tape, more and more hoops that farmers have to jump through, more and more environmental type schemes that you, cannot, you can't do that because of environmental reasons. And the farmer's just like, well, that's, 
that's the whole ball game. If I can't do this or that, then my whole farm doesn't work anymore. Well, one example is there's laws about you have to leave fields fallow, i.e. not using them. And that's a tried and tested ancient thing. You can't just use the soil endlessly and expect it to still be good. You have to leave fields fallow. But the EU regulations, a lot of the farmers say, it's, you're making me leave too much of it fallow and for too long. You're just taking money out of my pocket. That's just one example, you know, just one example. Something about pesticides. The EU will release loads of directives about what pesticides you can or can't use, what ones you have to buy. And again, the farmers are like, well, Who knows really better expensive. about this? It's just endless. It seems to farmers of just being squeezed endlessly from every angle. Um, and if anything, in the last year or two, even more. They've just, the EU just tightens the screw more and well, more and more. If they're also having to potentially spend a lot of money to just be able to fuel all right, of yeah. the machinery that they need, they're going to right. be being hit with all of the extra taxes that get put in, in England, for instance, on diesel and petrol. That's what the Germans were, one of the things the Germans are saying they're really PO'd about is that, oh, you've just whacked up diesel. That means I can't afford to run my tractors now. Uh, what are you doing to me? What are, you, what are we doing here? And that the EU want to just uh, give loads of money to Ukraine, but not to keep their own farmers in in, a biz, in business. Want to import loads more from Ukraine again, putting more pressure on their, so this was a question their native I had. farmers. And, I, I don't know if you got the answer of this, but um, I was suspicious because I, as I understand it, what we decided to do to support the Ukrainian state was we said, okay, we'll de facto on farming basically let you in. We'll send you a lot of money and we'll buy your grain, which is super treat cheap because of Ukrainian soil. It's a marvel of the world. And well, that's a massive market shift because now the French guys and the German guys who are growing the same stuff have to compete with one of the most bountiful places on earth mm. for making grain. And they didn't vote for that. There was no discussion. It just happened. Yeah. Is that actually a big impact or not? I believe so. Yeah, people are saying. Yeah, okay. no, absolutely. I mean, Ukraine has for a couple hundred years been shorthand for sort of one of the bread baskets of the world, right? I think it is um, the bread basket of the world. Right, yeah. So it's, um, my understanding Sweet. is that they've got black soil, which is just brilliant. And there's only a few places on earth that even exist, and the places on earth where you can farm it where it exists is Ukraine. That's basically it. Right. So To actually compete on a level field with Ukraine in terms of <clears throat> uh, wheat, say, uh, it's going to be very difficult for a German farmer to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I suppose I don't see any quick end to this because the powers that be in Europe uh, seem committed to it, like the immigration issue. Like, yeah, you're destroying something beautiful and ancient, and it seems very, very de deliberate, and they've got no intention of slowing down, let alone stopping or reversing it. I mean, there's just, just one, just the picture here. Um, if you scroll down a tiny bit, John, just so you can see. Just uh, uh, in a Marie Antoinette style, mm. Macron is still just, you know, having steak dinners and things whilst his farmers that are, you know, st staring um, defeat and penury in the eye, um, he's just still going about his business. Um, I, I, I mean, I just thought it was worth doing a little, uh, a, a little segment on this, seeing as if nothing else, the mainstream media largely blanking it. L like the, uh, like the, the problem on the southern border in America where Texas decided to um, go against the federals on the southern state, uh, in, on the southern border in America. The mainstream media, at least in Britain, just decided to look the other way and just essentially not really report on that. They seem to be doing a similar thing with this. Every now and again, you'll see something on BBC. It seems like a huge issue. It seems like a giant, giant issue because this sort of thing, I don't think this is going to happen, but this sort of thing 
can snowball into full rebellion, full revolution, um, full-blown social unrest. This sort of thing in history in the past can, can be the kernel of something that snowballs into something much, much, much bigger. Um, I, f- I suspect, I fear it won't in this instance, but nonetheless, um, at least if you get, a lot of our audience won't, but if you get your, most of your information off of mainstream media and uh, uh, you, you can be forgiven for not even hearing about this, is really happening. So uh, I thought at Lotus Eaters, we should try and bring it to some people if you can. Brilliant. That was it. Well, on that note, we'll go to the video comments. So since uh, the borders are wide open and drugs are flowing through, fentanyl is a huge problem. And it's a huge problem because it's 100 times more potent than morphine. So to see what a clinical dose of fentanyl looks like, this is about 50 micrograms. That's it. It's hard to measure. I can't get it correct, and the scale is fluctuating. And here's two grams, which is considered to be a lethal dose. Jeez. What, is fentanyl coming as a pill? Is it a pill? I don't even know. My understanding. I'm yeah, so naive. I've never seen a fentanyl. George, <laughs> can I have one fentanyl, please? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think I think George Floyd was having pills that were laced with meth, wasn't it? Because he was having he was taking fentanyl when he was um, murdered in police custody. Yeah. Didn't he swallow a whole bag of pills? Wasn't that? Yes. Uh, all right. All right. It was all over the cop car. Yeah. Was wasn't the wasn't the excuse that there was given that, well, you know, he was his body was just so used to it that a lethal dose for anybody else was just a Tuesday morning for him. He had a fentanyl vaccine. Which, um, <laughs> yeah, which is just take enough of it, apparently. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. All right, look. It's nice how the Barbie movie showcases the feminists' incompetence in making their propaganda. But if you keep mentioning it, eventually it's going to lose all of its novelty. Maybe like Biden with his about face on the border, but I imagine that is more like the border has been open long enough to accomplish what he wanted to, or his puppet masters wanted to. Oh well, time to play some Mech Warrior 2 in the mech. You jammy git. How do you <laughs> do cool. all of this? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I probably agree on the Bobbies. I don't care about that. Yeah, here, here, I, I, here. I didn't really think it had much novelty to begin with. Anyway, I have a message from Pete, who's our administrator, who's told us, um, can we apologize on his behalf about the chat? So the, the chat on the website is a thing. There's one on Rumble as well, but the, the one on the website, uh, it's buggered. Num- things happen. Terribly sorry. Um, we'll try to have that fixed tomorrow. So Monday. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the Shadow Band has donated 100 buckaroos on Rumble to oh, say, is. happy February, lads. National holiday here in America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the whole month. <laughs> I'm going back from Georgia, the most beautiful but boring uh, country in Europe. Oh, he's gone to that Georgia. The other Georgia. You never hear about that Georgia, yeah. unless you talk about Stalin. Although they have gun shops in the underground mall next to the food stalls slash faux leather, so that's neat. I don't know if you... you know about that. Nice. This might be a bit cruel, because if, if you're leaving it, but they actually sell Sargon wine, if you would like to get some. And it's it's just complete coincidence that the uh, the company just loves Sargon of Akkad, the historical figure. So they sell Sargon of Akkad wine. So. <laughs> we should get some for a laugh. Yeah, we should. That's a, a great idea. For a laugh. Quite expensive, though. Hmm. But anyway, um, Sean also donated 10 buckaroos to say, do me a quick favor and look up Justin Trudeau's quote, old stock Canadians are relic of the past and must be replaced. Too many do not believe that this is real. 
So um, John's looking that up, and I suppose... I can absolutely believe that Justin Trudeau would say something that I I personally, some would say this is hyperbolic, I, I consider literally genocidal. Let's, uh, let's click on that YouTube link, because I assume that's going to be the one, John. And uh, we'll enjoy it, because the guy played 10 bucks. So, nice sponsor. Mr. Harper, in the debate yesterday, used a term that many Canadians found offensive. That term was old stock Canadians. Yes. Why did you not take that opportunity on that platform to call Mr. Harper on that term? Well, I think one of the things that we've seen is Mr. Harper is always eager uh, to use the politics of division, always eager uh, to highlight differences between Canadians rather than pulling them together. And quite frankly, Mr. Harper's approach uh, has been well seen for a long time by people who've been following politics. His willingness uh, to set new Canadians against people who've been here for generations, against the people who've been here for millennia in the cases of our First, Na of, uh, First Nations people. So the fact is, Mr. Harper is yet again highlighting uh, that he doesn't believe that a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, that there are different categories of Canadian. And that, quite frankly, is not just offensive, it's harmful to the country we are building. But, but he defined the different categories. He said new Canadians, old Canadians, yeah. and First Nations peoples. Those are three separate categories there, Mr. Justin. Uh, I'd forgotten, it's been a long time since I've even heard Trudeau speak. I've forgotten how sort of fay he is. Mr. Harper isn't Pretty, willing to lie, unlike very, me. He's not at all like his dad. It's very camp. Old Fidel I've... wouldn't be proud. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, I'll, I'll let John look that up. And I'll, I'll yeah, we'll have to carry on with the comments. So, animosity says the data on immigration numbers are scary. But what I really wonder is if any of the Lotus Eaters think there will be a tipping point similar to how the farmers are acting across Europe. There seems to be an awakening on immigration in Germany and in the inner cities. The natives are not happy to have their benefits provided uh, to by immigrants. The question is... Uh, will this matter in the upcoming election? So reform, I think, are now on 13%, averaging on the polls, and growing. And that is in spite of some of the um, lackluster communications, in my view. But they've still got the Nigel Farage card to play, bring him back in. So I'm quite excited on the UK front that actually there is an opportunity there in the next election to just kill the Conservatives. I, I don't even like have a, a huge opinion on reform. It's just I think the narrative of British politics has to be the mass immigration thing was done and in response, the Conservative Party were ended. Like after 300 odd years or whatever it was, they died. That becoming part of the British political narrative of history is invaluable. Mm. So that's why I think that's a perfect opportunity. Yeah, it needs to become a rule of British politics that if you try that again, your party will be murdered <laughs> and will never come back. So that would be nice. Maybe, maybe we'll see. But uh, anyway. So JJHW says it's not demographic suicide, it's murder, and the murderers are in Westminster. Precisely my point, I think. But, uh, yeah, they need to be tried. I would love to try them in The Hague. Well, I don't know we don't own it, but... One of the things <laughs> let us keep it for a bit. One of the things I've said before is... Power of London has a... been a tourist attraction yeah. for far too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, row them to Traitor's Gate. <laughs> Old school style. Now, I thought that if, if, if we've got a government with some actual balls and did a policy of mass remigration, but then, yeah, at least every leader... Every Home Secretary, all the permanent civil servants in the Home Office since 1997, at least all of those individuals that are still alive yeah, should be a, put on trial. There is a trial. What for treason. For treason. What did you say? And then we decide whether or not you're guilty and the appropriate punishment. 
Hmm. Well, we, no. First, uh, who was it that said uh, they needed to rub the rights nose in diversity? Blair. It's Mr. Blair. Was it Blair who said that personally? Oh, sorry. No, actually, it wasn't. Sorry. No, I know no, no, it was no, no. under Blair. No, yeah, it was one of his, yeah, it was one that of his underlings. That person goes okay. first. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's a special tribunal in the works. We shall move on. Let's go to your comments. Yeah, so Richard Monikendum, this, this scamming by the games industry has to stop. I stopped buying them because of this nonsense. If it isn't a physical product or finished and complete, no more microtransactions or season passes, then you can't sell it. Go back to when games were good, creative, and had no agenda. Yeah. I, I, I too would like it to, to even, even just them be good and creative and be finished. Just, just, <laughs> just have, have, sell me something that's Our finished. Father, please, in heaven. You know, <laughs> I don't. Finish. I don't go into the cinema and halfway through they stop and they go, we'll get the rest of the film reel tomorrow. <laughs> Come back then. And Update, we'll pay, have to pay an extra fiver for it, guys. I'd be happy to just dig out my old PS2 and play San Andreas again. Oh, yeah. yeah. The right? PS2 happy is great. To, happy to do that. Uh, happy to dig out my Neds from the loft somewhere, play Mario 1 from the from beginning again. You know, yeah. uh, I'm really showing my age there. But. Hey, they're, they're great games. <laughs> George Hap, the destruction of the Justice League is Gramsci's tactics of demoralization. These clowns want to make a mockery of the modern myths like Batman and Superman, but no Wonder Woman because feminism. The fall of Rocksteady, one of the best British studios, is a tragedy. Giving WB any money is a mistake. Yep. Israeli Crusader on the suicide game, it has to be said more than anything, it's just really bad characterization. The Flash is almost always well regarded by his Rose Gallery, while Batman is well respected by his enemies. Once again, these people, we saw these people writing the stories. They don't know anything about this, and they have no respect for any established history that any of these characters have. It's not the same people writing them. It's not the same people directing them. General High Ping, loving Bo's new catchphrase, does he get shot in the dick? <laughs> Is that a catchphrase now? Uh, Another it. one for the never thought that had happened, 2024, bingo. And I'll read one more. Uh, Andionymous... Anonymous. <laughs> Anonymous. Yeah. Uh, I think the DC alternative universe stories still have great potential. Imagine an alternate reality where Superman is the good guy. I know. They don't do that anymore. And uh, on to your comments, Bo. Um, someone need to scroll down for me. I think John's trying oh, to help. Okay, okay, I'll let John house. do it. I'll let John do it. Here we are. Uh, Talk about yourselves. Michael Brooks says, don't bite the hand that feeds. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's sort of a suicide stroke murder thing to destroy your own agriculture, right? Your own agricultural industry. It's like, you, it's like being energy efficient and deciding not to be anymore. There is like, um, why, what? What? You know what's a good idea? If I have to be dependent on handouts from my neighbors, that's fantastic. Like, I don't know if this is an upside, but even if this goes ahead, Right, and European agriculture gets destroyed in the way they're planning. There might be a positive out of this. This is my copium pill, which is I'm pretty. That's the white pill. Even if that doesn't happen, so even if we're in the worst possible timeline, um, and my understanding is the Japanese they import loads of their food, and what happened after World War Two is they realized they basically couldn't do what they were doing because there's just too many cheap imports, and the Americans were going to force that on them. So Japanese agriculture became incredibly luxury. So that's why they're the ones making all the really high quality stuff, all the random weird stuff like square watermelons. That's because you've got limited land. Right, I'm Googling that. It needs to be really high priced. You've never seen square watermelons? Yeah, yeah. They're not uh, perfectly square, but they are square. They're square. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. 
Or like Wagyu beef, super, super high quality things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, I mean, yeah. that's the thing going back since ancient times that Japan could f not really feed itself properly uh, a lot of food from the sea. They were uh, invented uh, by a graphic designer. <laughs> I'll let people look up um, cube watermelons in their own time, but we all have time if you would like more. Um, if you don't know what to do at this point, I can't help you. So goodbye. <laughs>